we pick back up where we left off in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be picking back up there in verse 8, and we will, Lord willing, finish the chapter today. Uh, it's just until verses to 17 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. And as you're getting settled in again, the faithfulness of God is absolutely amazing, and not only in your own life, but as we can see in the body of Christ, and we certainly uh, continue to pray for uh, many, many things, but one of those things is that God is just continues to reveal to us his faithfulness to us, and many is simplicity, but also in very complex and 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 in points in our life or in the church life that we're just like, Lord, how is this all going to work out? And how is this going to play out in, in our lives? And, uh, and he just continues to just faithfully show us the way, the truth, and the life that he has given us in him. And there is no other place you want to be. Because you don't have a life apart from Christ. <laughs> Amen? You must have a, be abiding in, in the life with Christ to continue to have this life of, of abundant life that God has given us. But what a, be, what a blessing. We see here in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we pick back up here in this, uh, this chapter here, reminding you that chapter 2, uh, Paul brings an enlightenment uh, to or clarifies for us here in this letter to the Thessalonians, the believers back there, uh, clarifies some very important doctrinal truths or doctrinal issues that they were facing around the coming of, the, of that day of, of the great tribulation. Not only the rapture that we talked about, but the great, um, the great tribulation that they, will, uh, they had learned from Paul while he was there. Now you and I need to remember that uh, God has a timetable and it's his timetable, not our timetable. As, as you and I, we wish, wish he would come back today and take us home. It solves all of our problems and all of our concerns and issues for those who know him. Those who do not know him, that's what saddens us deeply because they would be left behind and they will experience the wrath of God uh, here on this earth. But remember, God has a timetable and Satan will not be allowed to control this world forever. Jesus Christ will return in power and with great glory and take Satan, Antichrist, and all of his associates, and they're going to get out of here and be thrown in as a prisoner. We'll see them locked up uh, in uh, Revelation. And cast them into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and you can go back and read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, or that, that whole chapter there. But also, this will, be, this will happen at this, this very climatic moment with the battle of Armageddon that we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. Again, go back in your reading pleasure today and read it, chapter 16. It's amazing read. And during this time, what we will see is the nations of that time will rise up and come against not just the world, but more specifically, will come back for, to come and attack Jesus Christ himself. And, and you and I, as we come back with him in his second coming, they're in Israel. And a great battle will take place. And many people watch movies and all kinds of things about the Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon. But that will be the place, Armageddon. It's a Hebrew word of where that war will take place there in Israel and coming against the Jewish people, but more specifically against Jesus himself. Which leads us to our final conversation here in chapter 2 of that great tribulation period. And more specifically the lawless one, who the Antichrist that uh, Satan will utilize uh, as his tool to bring about um, tremendous challenges upon those who were left behind here on this earth after the church has been raptured. Now, if you remember, draw your eyes to verse 6 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, and you'll see that Paul had taught these believers in Thessalonica some important things, and that was prophecy. Many churches today do not teach prophecy. 
It scares churches that are not teaching the word. So why would they teach the prophecy about things about Jesus' return? So they avoid those kinds of things because they don't want you to not feel loved and feel all goosebumps and and experience and all kinds of uh, love and, and just feel cuddled. And that's why you come to church. But no, you need to know the truth. And Paul taught the truth to those believers there in Thessalonica at his time, even though he was only with them for about three weeks. He taught them the prophecies and which and how important it is because now as he writes the first Thessalonian letter and the second Thessalonian letter back to them to encourage them about the, the end times, he can refresh their memory of what he had already taught them. And that's why we study the scriptures because we need to be reminded of what God has already taught us or needs to teach you if it's the first time you've heard these teachings. But in verse 6, it says, Now you know what is restraining that he, he being Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, should be in your Bible, he being the Holy Spirit, God himself, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. How is he taken out of the way? He's not removed. The Holy Spirit is not removed. But remember, the Holy Spirit dwells within the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is within the church you. You, the church body, he dwells within you. So when the church leaves this earth, he's not completely left. Remember, he's God. He's omnipresent. That means he's just sitting there going like this and restraining. He's using the church to restrain the evilness, allow, not allow the, Satan to, to use the Antichrist, which is a political leader, a political dictator who will come and create a one world order, a globalist kind of guy. But the Holy Spirit uses the church and, uses it and he pushes back and keeps the restraining of the evil not to let it go to fulfill what God has in his timetable. But at some point... Understand the rapture will happen. You and I are out of here because as believers, children of God, we'll be out of here. And then God himself will bring judgment. He'll bring his judgment. There is a difference. Now you may think you're going through judgment, but you're not going through judgment compared to what God's judgment will be. And you have to go back and read Revelations to catch that. Did you catch that? And you have to read that. You have to understand that. Now, when that church leaves... The Holy Spirit doesn't leave completely, as we will see in the scriptures. Because remember, many people think the Holy Spirit completely leaves after this, this, you know, before or during this great tribulation. Remember, he is present on earth during the great tribulation. Why? Because we see in the scriptures, if you go back to Revelation chapter 7, chapter 14, you see that the Holy Spirit is working and people are getting saved during that period of time. Not only saved, but sealed, and they serve God during that period of time. And you have to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit to do that work in a person's life. So I always picture picture it as I'm reading this, is that God is like, the Holy Spirit is like, okay, we got you contained. We're, we're going to hold you right here. It's like a little kid who's, who's, who's all amped up, right? And you just want to hold him because if he not, he's going to run out in the street, whatever it may be. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to say, okay, come on. He's going to just, he'll be still there, but he's just going to open up the arms and just let go and watch out. The Antichrist, and the, empowered by Satan, will just run rampant over the next seven years. It'll all be to sound nice. Remember, we really learned it's in the first three and a half years, it's going to be peaceful, and there's going to be the rebuilt of the temple, and, and the Jews, and the, and the Muslims, and all the, the non believers, all just going to be all working together and making it all happen there in, in, in Jerusalem. But that's only for three and a half years. Just don't take that as the people there who are left behind, and you're hearing this, my voice now, don't take that as this is a good thing. Because at three and a half years, when the temple's built, the Antichrist, as we learned, already will walk in and will be demanded that he, be tr- he, he is God and you will worship him as God. And that's when the veils come off, the, the, the scales come off the eyes of the Jewish people and they realize they've been deceived and everybody else who's been deceived. And that's when, the, when that happens, there's going to be tremendous persecution that will come upon 
even the believers of, that come to believe during that period of time. Now remember, don't forget, during that seven-year period of time, there's still babies being produced. So, you know, remember, there's people being born. Kids are being born during that period of time. And they're going to have people who are going to know the Christ after they left. All the people you've been sharing the gospel with. All of a sudden, you're gone. You're raptured. And they're going to all go, it was true. Oh, Lord, help me. Right? And they're going to raise up children in a godly way. God hasn't forgotten them. God will take care of them. They'll preserve them. It won't be the same as you and I, right? Because we, we made that decision before the rapture. And so what we see here as we play out here, there's a sense in verse 7, if you remember, the mystery of lawlessness, this, this great principle of evil is already present in the world. Lawlessness will be a sign of the end times. And you can see lawlessness now. People don't want any authority. People don't want any rules or regulations. They want to live their lives however they want to live it, and they just gonna, you're just going to have to deal with it, kind of an attitude. And this sense of lawlessness is this ultimate unveiling of the man of sin, this lawless one. It will be the ultimate uh, revealing of this. It's not like this man's going to come on and introduce something new wickedness. It's just going to be our current wickedness on steroids. It's going to be an ultimate unfeathered wickedness, lawlessness, and evil that will reign on this earth during this period of time. It's not a place you want to be. Here in verse 8, as we pick back up here and finish this chapter, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Do you see the fact that the lawless one will come into power? He will come over, and the Holy Spirit's going to allow that to happen because it's God's timetable for this to happen at this point in time. And when that happens, don't forget the Lord is not going to allow him to rule this world much longer and at the end of that seven years he's coming back with you and I on white horses thank you I hope you love horses no just just if you can't you don't like horses start embracing them now because you're gonna be riding one coming in right but as we come back we're going to see that the Lord will consume what does consume mean it will completely control take over Consume. There's, this, there's no room to move kind of moment, right? Consume with the breath of his mouth. He, he's going to, we see in the scripture where God just says, I am. I am he. Just through the, the soldiers back when they came to get him in the garden, of, in the garden remember, with Judas? He says, are you? I am he. Boom. They were just thrown back by the breath of his voice. The words that come from his mouth will just move this lawless one. But not only that, he will destroy, not only consume, but he will destroy with the brightness of his coming. That means his presence alone. Darkness is there. Here comes the presence of light. Darkness must, will be what? Completely gone, destroyed. Because of God's presence. That's what's going to happen, my brothers and sisters. There's no question in our minds. So Paul makes it very clear. Two key facts that are absolutely key. One is that the lawless one will be revealed. And that second is that the fact that he is going to not only be consumed, but by also be destroyed by the presence of Jesus in his coming. In verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So this man of sin, this lawless one, will not become, his political guy will rise up out of the Roman Empire, as we know in the scriptures, and will be coming to be the world dictator. But remember, he has no control. Who controls and who actually moves him to do the things that Satan wants him to do is Satan himself. Satan is using him as his Messiah to bring about what he wants to do to this earth in his final days. And so we see here this, he's going to empower him. He's going to, there'll be all power, all in, and in signs and lying wonders that will take place. This, the Antichrist will be able to do these things. But all of these is according to the working of Satan. And you can go back to Revelation chapter 13, 
verses 13 through 17 for you to, and for that reading pleasure. But remember, but remember that if someone has spiritual power and they show you spiritual signs and spiritual wonders, they are not enough. They are not enough to prove they are from God. You must be careful that, my brothers, because we know in the end times there'll be false teachers are coming away and they will be in and they'll be doing some powerful things. They will do some signs and wonders and you all all kinds of things are happening in churches that are not of God. They don't prove that they're from God. Matter of fact, they're going to be proving that they're from Satan himself. That's working in and through that fellowship of people that they declare as being a Christian church. So you must be aware, just because they have signs and subjects. And unfortunately today, people go from church to church looking for the experience. Looking for signs, looking for wonders, looking for powerful movements of the higher power and force. Moving through. Watch out for those things. Because that is not a sign of the fact that it's of God. Nobody on earth after the rapture will be able to overcome the Antichrist. And his forces that will be unleashed because the Holy Spirit. And the church is gone and the Holy Spirit is allowing it to happen. Because he will be energized by Satan and will take over. Revelation 13.4 says, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? See, some people will say, Pastor, you know, I'll get saved afterwards, you know. And I'll be, I'll be the light that needs to be happening here. Like, you're going to be the savior of the world if you become a, stay as a non-believer. And then get, think you're going to just automatically think you're going to get saved in the next, after the rapture. And then somehow you're going to be used by God. That's your calling by God. That, that's just foolish talking. That's very prideful talking if you, if you say those things. And I'll call you out on it. And if you, no one here, but I mean in past times, I'll call you out on that. That's just foolish talking. Because you have no power over Satan in working through the Antichrist. Satan has always been an imitator of Jesus. Did you know that? Let me give you the scriptures so you can go back and see this if you haven't seen these before. There are false Christians... There are false Christians in this world who re are really children of the devil. And that's referenced in Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. Matthew 13, 38 and 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. Not only are these false Christians really following the devil, not God, but they're also false apostles or ministers referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 who preach a false gospel. A false gospel. Go back and read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Now you're sitting there going, I knew that, Pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm jiggy with all that. I understand that. But did you remember, do you know this one? The synagogue of Satan, Revelation 2, 9. Yes, there are, is a group of people called the synagogue of Satan, which means a gathering of people who think they are worshiping God, but who are really worshiping the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. People are deceived today, my brothers and sisters, because they do not know the word of God and follow the word of God. They follow the wonders and signs and and goosebumps and the music and oh it goes on and on and on and on. And but these false Christians have a counterfeit righteousness with we see. And it is not the saving righteousness of Christ. Go back and read Romans 10 verses 1 through 3. Philippians 3 4 through 10. These people have a false assurance, this false assurance of salvation that Paul talks about that will prove useless when they face the judgment of God when that happens. And you can go back to Matthew chapter 7 and read verses 15 through 29. Go back and read those today. 
And you'll see how clearly it can be, and you just have to be praying for, these, for the people, for churches that are not teaching the word of God. Verse 10, and with all unrighteousness, this is what's going to happen. With all righteous, unrighteousness, un, yes, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Underline that. Believe not just a lie. Believe the lie. Because there is a, there is a the lie. That they all, verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice this. Follow along with me here on these key verses here because... This deception can only take root. You can only be deceived if it takes root in those who do not receive the love of the truth. Do you realize that there are people who do not, they can take or leave reading the word of God. I don't love reading the word of God. I can take or leave it. I love my one or two favorite verses the ones that really you know, speak to me, but I'll pick and choose what I like. And that's what happens many times, my brothers and sisters, back then and still today. There are churches that will not teach the whole counsel of God. We believe we should teach the whole counsel of God. We should know it. We should not only know it and hear it, but do it. And so what here we have is deception will take place into those who will not receive the love of God. These people are ready for the deception that the Antichrist will bring because they want what? A lie. They actually want the lie. It helps them to justify and to continue to live a life contrary to the word of God. And that lie they will receive and God will send them, God will send them, notice that, God will send them a strong delusion. It's a judgment. It is not, this is not, this is not some uh, uh, gift from God. No, no, no. This is part of the judgment of God because God will send them in the end. The Antichrist will, is only God's messenger now to do fulfill the timetable that God has, the prophecy. God has judgment to bring on the people who did not want to, to give their life to Christ. And he will send a strong delusion. God will not force this delusion on anyone but those who do not receive the love of God. They chose, I don't want the things of God. I don't love the, the truths of God. I don't want to follow the truths of God. Okay, then you've opened yourself up to deception and delusion to be coming into your life. It's a pattern. It's, it's, it's a process. It's not, it, it, your, your, your decisions are leading to that outcomes. It's a form of punishment from God. And they will believe, as in the scripture here, we see that they, they shall believe the lie. Specifically, what lie are we talking about? God sends them this lie, and it isn't just any lie, but the lie, because the lie has captivated the human race since Adam and Eve. Satan first spoke this lie to Eve, if you remember. What, what did he say to her? You will be like God. You will not surely die. You will know good and evil. You will know everything that God knows. That is the lie from the pit of hell from the very beginning of time. And it's the lie that will come into the lives of people at the end times. The lie is the idea that man in his own, is his own God. I can live my life however I want to live it. Because no one will say, oh, of course, I'm God. No, they People are sophisticated. Trust me, there's some people who do that. But most people don't say it that way. I'm my own God. I'm God. I can deliver. No, you say it more subtly. We have responsibility. 
we have, you know, we're just human. We get to make our own decision. No, we don't. Because God has a purpose of creating you, and he has a purpose that you are to worship him as God. And there is only one God. There is no other God. But people do. They, they're captivated by the fact that they can be their own God and therefore can do whatever he pleases or she pleases and better himself or herself by their own human efforts. I can get better because I am practicing my self-talk. I'm going to get better because I'm doing my self-help program. I can do better because I'm going to try. I can really work hard this time and I can make it. Like a little train that went up the hill. It's childish, my brothers and sisters. That's childish. Apart from God, you can do nothing. It's pretty simple. But this is what the lie is. It's a process. We can go back and read Romans 1.25. I'll read it for you. It says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creator, the creator, sorry, Serve the creature rather than the creator. I will not worship the creator. But give me that, that whale and man, I'll hug that whale and hug that tree and hug that climate and hug myself and, and worship them instead. It's not, it's, it's pretty pretty blatant in front of us if you really think about that as a as a believer you can see that play out and it really all boils down to this i'm a pretty simple guy as you know and you'll know it all boils down to this and that is pride that satan appeals to man's pride that's how lucifer came falling down did he not the, it was the pride that turned Lucifer into Satan, as we see in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, and Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 18. And it's pride that will trap, or the scripture says, snare men and women into doing Satan's will in this world. Go back and you'll see that scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 24 through 26. It's a snare. It's a trap. Pride is a trap. And that you cannot allow that to happen. And that they all be condemned. The result, the next step in the process, that they'll be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure, notice this, pleasure in unrighteousness. It really simple as this. God gives man and woman who desire pleasure in unrighteousness says, okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. Be careful of what you ask for. If it goes against the word of God, you better be thanking God that he doesn't allow you to have those things that you ask for. But there'll be a time where God gives rebellious man who do not like the truth, don't want to know God's truth. He's going to give them the lie that they need and they want and he prefers or they desires. That, that, man, that man and woman desires and prefers. I want, I want to live this unrighteous life. Okay. Okay. You asked for it. Now you'll get it. I'll step out of the way and let you have it. Isn't out of his generosity, of course, but it's out of God's judgment that he's going to, who rejected the truth of God. It's his judgment upon them. Go back to Romans 1, and that points it out very clearly to you and I, because people, God is going to turn their minds over to the depravity of their minds. They're going to give it over to the depravity of their desires of their life, and God's going to let them have it all. But note a great number of Jews and Gentiles will be saved during that seven-year tribulation. And it's good, but unfortunately, the vast majority, because the road is narrow, the vast majority of that world's population will be lost. And many will die in the terrible judgments that God talks about, as again, on, that will happen on this earth in Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Revelation 8.11, Revelation 9.18, Revelation 11.13. These, 
you're going to see this all play out. And you've heard the terms scrolls, trumpets, bowls. That's not homemaking. <laughs> That's God opening up the judgment that will come upon the earth during that period of time. And it's not something you want to partake of. Others will perish in judgment when Jesus Christ returns and separates the saved from the lost. That we see reference in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And it's important. It's very important to remember that these people did have opportunity to believe and to be saved. God gave everyone an opportunity to believe and to be saved. They chose not to believe, and that which resulted in not being saved. And that's why judgment, they can't sit there and justify, well, but God, I was going to. When everything was just right and had it all in order during my right timing, I really wanted to do this one last thing before I had to give it up. I've heard it, I've heard it so many ways put to me. I hope it's not speaking to you. If it is, surrender. Give your life to Christ now before it's too late. Why? Because God has no delight in judging the lost. Ezekiel 33.11. I, I, I highly recommend you underline that in your Bibles. Ezekiel 33.11. Because God has no delight in judging the lost. God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.9. Those who love lies, makes lies, will be excluded from the heavenly city. We see that noted in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, and will ultimately be, end up in the lake of fire. Judgment separated from God for eternity. Now, the whole... This kind of like the sobering truth, the clear-minded truth, is a person can resist the truth that he finally becomes deluded and has to believe a lie. If you noticed here, the process, in verse 10, it starts with deception. That leads into the end of part of 10, leads to a denial of that truth in the love of God. Which then leads that person to delusion in verse 11. Which then ultimately leads to what? Being condemned. In verse 12. That is the process you will watch in a person's life if you're not careful and you're deceived by the lie from Satan itself. Be very, 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 very careful. Because there's a slippery slope of deception, denial, delusion to be condemned. Now here's the good part now in the remaining of this chapter. Verses 13 through 17, Paul now balances this letter and shifts from the bad news to the good news. From the warning, from the warning to thanksgiving and prayer. He's going to take the edge off, and I'm going to take the edge off. Because some people say, this is pretty heavy for the last couple of weeks. I know, that's the way Paul wrote the letter. That's how God gave him the words. Not me, this is God's word. So me too. I will shift now and give the good news. The thanksgiving and the prayer aspect of it. Not just bad news, but good news for you and I. Because we can stand very encouraged this day. Because the lawless one, the man of sin, will be dealt with. God is in control. God has a timetable. He, is, we're, he, is, he is absolutely knows what he's doing. You can stand very encouraged today knowing that your God is in control as a believer. And you should be encouraged. You should be able to stand very confidently in what you do day in and day out for the Lord as you live this life for him until he takes you home. Why? Because he is in control. Now look what Paul says here 
in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, or brethren, beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul repeats what he said back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, that he was obligated to thank God for his work that he was doing in the believers in Thessalonica. He was, I cannot hold it back, God, for praising you of what you have been so faithfully doing in the lives of those people who are being persecuted for their faith in you. The tribulations that were just overwhelming of these people, almost like it feels like you're drowning, you're barely kicking and doing the doggy paddle to keep your nose above the water. And God is faithfully brought, bringing these believers through, and he was praising God. He could not contain. He was obligated to do that. Why? Because from the beginning, he says, you chose these people for salvation through, through sanctification by the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and belief in the truth. God's salvation is rooted and grounded in his love. We know that, right? John 3, 16. It's grounded in his love for you. Did you realize you are loved? You are loved. You're loved by God Almighty. God proves this love, how? By going to the cross for you. He took your penalty. It was supposed to be you and I on that cross. So it's through that cross where Jesus Christ died for us sinners, Romans 5 a, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we see in John 1.29. The sin of what? Selfishness. That sin of I can be God. I can be in control of my life. I can do however I want to do. He died for all that. And because God from the beginning chose you for salvation, Paul here is saying, praise the sovereign choice of God in bringing the Thessalonians to salvation. God's choice was from the beginning. Before they choose God, he chose them, and he chose them for salvation through sanctification. God says, I'm going to go down and send my son to, to die for the whole world, giving them Away the truth and the life through my son Jesus Christ. The whole world. Through the salvation, through sanctification. And these two go together. Why? Because those who claim to be chosen or claim to be born again, Christians, but lack evidence of sanctification. Sanctification, if you remember, is that separation from the world, but you're now abiding into God. And it's that process is evidence that God has chosen you and you are saved, born again, and you are going to see a changed life. Now, if you say you're a Christian, you say you're born again, you say that you've been chosen by God, but there has not been a changed life, you're on shaky ground. You're on very shaky ground. We can't see if a person is chosen. We cannot see if someone is truly saved, born again. But we can see if they're sanctified. Because we can tell by a changed life. There's a biblical change that has taken place in their life. And it's evident to those who know them. And it's only by the Spirit of God and belief in the truth. God's work of sanctification uses two great forces here. Two great forces. The Spirit and the belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God are essential to your sanctification and mine. So if you just got saved, 
or you're about to give your life and give your life to Christ, then know that you need to be walking in the Spirit and in truth. You must be walking and allowing the Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a new believer to have be obedience to the Spirit of God leading you, but you also need to be reading and obeying the Word of God. And you will see a biblical change take place in your life. There is no other way. When sinners believe God's truth, God saves them. See how simple that is? When you as a sinner now believe in the truth of God, of who Jesus Christ is, God saves you. And when they believe Satan's lies, he believes Satan lie that gives the lie, then you are rejecting the love of the truth and they cannot be saved. We just learned that in verses 10 through 12. But let me talk to you that are in the neutral position of that, of that pendulum. Those who say, I'm good. I'm not as bad as the other person. I don't seek after Satan, but I certainly am on the edge of I'm curious about God. Those neutral ones. None of you, of course. But the neutral ones. God's truth of staying neutral of who he is versus complete surrender puts you in dangerous position. You must know that there's consequences because there is no such thing as a really a neutral position. You're for God, and if you're not for God, then you're against God. There is no neutral position for those who have tried to rationalize that. You must give your life completely surrendered to him. And notice that they said, to which he called you by our gospel. The call for this salvation comes through the gospel. What was the gospel that Paul was preaching when he went to each city? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.23 tells you he preached Christ crucified. That was the gospel. Can you imagine today? You get some of those self-righteous religious types and you talk about Christ crucified and they think you're, you're talking just basic things. Can't you move on and do something and read, read something else, say something else? All you're talking about is Christ crucified all the time? That's a self-righteous person. There's power in the gospel. And we are called to continue to share the gospel. Even to believers, you know why? It encourages you as a believer who made the decision to follow Christ. It encourages us. And it brings a result of obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for he shall see him as he is. The same glory that John talks about and Paul talks about, we too will see. I can't wait. We're already experiencing now, but can you think about the the fullness when we're in his presence. <sighs> Breathtaking. Verse 15, therefore. Always key word here, therefore. Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Therefore, Paul says, everything I just was writing to you, everything you were just reading in this letter, Consider what I was just writing to you. This is from God, given to me, written down for you and I to know. Therefore, all of this thing up to this point, he says, be compelled is, is, is absolute reason why Christians must stand fast and not be moved. Because they remember early on in this letter, he says their minds were being troubled. They were fearful that they had missed the rapture, that the great tribulation has already come. And he had to be encouraging, don't lose heart here. Stand fast. Don't lose your mind on this. Don't be troubled and, and be, be moved. But stand fast, stand firm. Be encouraged that God has a timetable and there's certain things you need to see 
to take place prior to the, the, the great tribulation to take. And it has not happened. And he says, stand fast. And I'll give it to you as a re reference to what he was standing uh, fast against because of what these believers were dealing with. First one is stand fast because of the current distress you're finding yourself in as a believer, he says. You go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. What was that? The persecutions and tribulations that they were experiencing. Stand fast. Don't get moved. God is in control. He's going to bring you through this persecutions and tribulations the second one stand fast because of the coming judgment of this world we see that in second thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 he says be careful in the flaming fire taking vengeance don't worry god is going to bring you out of this world and he is going to judge the world you don't have to worry about this world god will deal with them so stand fast be encouraged the third one is stand fast because of the strength of coming deception that's going to come. We learned that in verse 9 because this guy, the Antichrist, is going to have all power. There's going to be signs and lying wonders that are going to go every which way. Don't, don't be moved by them. Keep your eyes on Jesus because you're going to be taken out of here before he comes about and be, be revealed. You won't, I don't believe we'll know who the Antichrist is. doesn't mean we will not see him on the evening news or see him written somewhere or someplace somewhere. We, could, we might know the person. But he's being restrained and not being revealed that he is the Antichrist. Could have, he could be here today. But deception is going to happen, so don't be moved. Stand fast, the fourth one. Stand fast because of our glorious destiny. You must be encouraged. Here in verse 14, we just read, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our glorious destination, destiny. You must stand encouraged because that's where we're going. That's who he's referring to as you and I. Now, as we take a look at this, and he says, hold to the traditions, I want to emphasize a couple of key points. The Bible recognizes that traditions can be dangerous feature in a religious setting. Because some religious settings are so tied up into traditional um, systems or traditional ways that are not in line with the scripture. Or they hold them back from what God is trying to move in the direction of that church body. And that warning is in Matthew 15, verse 2 and 3. There's also traditions of man. Colossians 2.8 warns us of that. We do not want a religious system traditions. We don't want the traditions of man to hold us back to what God has for us. But Paul here is talking about the apostolic traditions. He says, preserve the teachings and the epistles in the New Testament that was written to you. Those you must hold on to those traditions of those writings. That's why we study the whole counsel of God. We hold to those traditions of those writings. And we do not allow someone else to come in and change the scripture. Add or delete from the scripture. We stay very focused upon what God has for us. It's not easy to stand. It's not easy to hold fast because the forces around us want to move us from the faith. Satan knows how to use lies to oppose you and I and our walk in the faith on a daily basis. And he goes against God's truth and he seeks to do this within the fellowship itself. He looks for the fellowships and he says, how can I come in and spread some lies and try to disunity? Go back and read Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, and you can see that. And here we end. We end here, Paul ends his letter, and part of his letter in verses 16 and 17. In the middle of his letter, he prays to God about these believers. Look in verse 16 and 17. This is a prayer. He says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. 
Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So Paul here asks God to do something very specific for the Thessalonians. He remembered all God had done for them. He was praising him, worshiping God for God's faithfulness in their lives. And God has loved them through this, all of this stuff. And he says, I want you, please God, please consolation or comfort those believers. So he prayed for comfort for those people in that church. And he also prayed for good hope, a deep, solid hope in God by his grace, that God's grace will bring him, them through this tribulation and persecution that they were dealing with. And it's through this intercessions, it's through these petitions of prayer that, that Paul is saying here that we must remember God's past faithfulness and present blessing. Because his faithfulness in the past and his present blessing is a guarantee, a, 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 a hope and a knowledge and knowing that he will be, continue to be faithful in the future. When we don't see it, we just know that God is faithfully going to take care of the situation at hand. We just know it. Why? Because he's been faithful right from the very beginning. And that's why he said at the very end, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. He's basically this, this comfort, just be comforted in these words he's saying to you as a believer continued testimony of God's faithfulness in your life, that continued testimony or um, that, that good hope that is being, working through you, not only by the good word, the word, that, the word of God, but also the word that's even about you. People look, look at how solidly they are as believers in that church following Christ through all of the uncertainty that is happening in the world. And look at the work that they're doing for God. Look at what's happening in and through that little body of Thessalonican believers that Paul says is absolutely amazing. So may this word today be very encouraging to you, my brothers and sisters, to stand encouraged in the days that we live. Why? Because the Lord is soon and very soon coming back for us.